I was asked a question about surrender and faith. This is a really hard topic to talk about. It's like talking about cosmic lovemaking, like how do you do it? I am primarily a kinesthetic learner, meaning I'm very sensitive to touch and moving the body. Experiential learning would probably be a good way to describe it as well. Describing to someone how to find the sweet spot in a tennis stroke. It's so complex that without feeling it, the descriptions don't really do it justice unless perhaps you're, you have a great imagination and you can listen to some wonderful words and literally imagine what it's like, but that's still a step away. Faith is experiential, and for me, surrender is also. The other thing that makes this talk very difficult is that acceptance, surrender, and faith are uniquely individualistic. Not only is each person different, but given what they're going through currently in their life versus what they were going through a year ago versus what they will go through in two years will change their challenges as well as their harmonious connection with faith and surrender. And Americans like to make up rules. If I just do this and this, this will happen. Yeah, it will for a while, but then you change, your body changes, your circumstances change, your energy changes, your capabilities change, your tolerance levels change, everything changes. So learning how to tune in, learning how to feel your feelings, learning how to feel your body and the energy of your body, ultimately will allow you to feel Spirit, Source, God, Jesus, Mary, Yoda, the universe, whatever you work with. But there is a certain level of progression. If you don't, to me, if you don't go through that progression, you won't know if what you're feeling is some old triggered emotion from uh, an acid trip or ayahuasca, or if you're actually feeling a cosmic download from a higher source. You won't be able to tell the difference. And I can't tell you how many New Age people I've met who have, quote, followed the signs only to find out a year or two years or five years later that they didn't marry their soulmate. They married a narcissist who was love bombing them. But their intuition, what they thought was their intuition, was their wounded self desperate for love and read everything that happened as signs and synchronicity rather than as giant red flags soothing their wounded self. But I'm going to attempt to talk about this. It may not be successful, then that's okay. I was raised an atheist, so faith is a hard-won skill for me. There was nothing to have faith in except yourself and circumstances and good luck and synchronicity that just had to do with sort of the quantum mechanics of this world. So 
So faith, to me, all of this is how I'm putting this together. So there's a ton of evidence and research behind what I say, a ton of experience, but what I say may not work for everybody. And I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about, I think in the Jewish tradition, the way it's taught is you try it. You hear what's said, you try it out, and see if it's true for you. And and that's how you learn and grow. Otherwise, you're going to be looking to join a cult. So faith in yourself is a matter of reframing your outlook on who you are. In other words, being able to go back and instead of just beating yourself up and saying how you're doing everything wrong, you can go back and see perhaps where you made mistakes, but also see how well you got through it. Sometimes also you may see that you did not get through it well, but maybe you are getting through it well now. Sometimes you will go back and go over things and see that you need some serious help because you don't know how to go through it well. In 12-step, we would call this taking inventory, looking over harm we cause to ourselves and to other people, and then making amends. Making amends to the self is sometimes getting help. So until we start to know who we are, and for some people, this cognitive exercise, looking back, writing things down, looking at pros and cons, reframing it, getting some help with this. In 12-step meetings, you work with a sponsor. You don't do inventory by yourself. You have to do it with another person. And the same thing with learning to make amends. Amends is not apologizing. It's not making the other person feel better. It is about healing your own heart that you don't like the choices you made, you're not happy with the decisions you made. In hindsight, maybe you were doing the best you could at the time, but now looking back, you're like, ooh, that still doesn't sit well with me. So you make amends, direct or indirect, not to do anything to the other person, but to heal yourself regarding your own sometimes crappy or even mean and horrible decisions that you've made in the past. Wounded people tend to hurt other people. So if you're a wounded person making an inventory, it's going to be a little painful because at some time you're going to realize that you actually hurt other people in the name of I'm wounded and I get to do this behavior or that behavior because I'm wounded. And now you look back and go, that was a really shitty story I told myself and I couldn't do any better at the time, but I can do better now. So cognitively developing the skills to have faith in yourself for many people is an excellent starting point because it is the least emotionally risky route to take. It's still risky. It's still scary and challenging. A lot of people want to start with energy first. Well, that's because they learn to dissociate and go somewhere really cool when life got really hard. So they think they're feeling energy, but really what they've learned to do is dissociate and check out and check in somewhere else in order to not be present for what's going on. So I've seen people come into meditation class, they close their eyes, 
and they sort of wriggle their body like a little hen settling over her eggs, and they go to their safe place, they go to their heavenly place, they go to home, they go to their guardian angel, and they're smiling, and there they went. So they leave their body, and they just go somewhere else. There's no tuning in to a higher energy in order to learn and heal and have that be controlled and guided by a higher source, which doesn't mean you're out of control because you can stop it at any time, but you're definitely not directing the destination or the learning curve or the scenario in any way. There's very few people I have met that are naturally able to actually feel an energy bigger than them and allow that energy to change them. So I tend to start with cognitive exercises more so you can discover where your, as AA says, your stinking thinking is, your wounded thinking that you don't even yet know exists. So you can catch it when it kicks in instead of it running your life unconsciously. If you do this kind of work with inventory and amends, especially inventory, you know, another way to take inventory, another way to start is writing hate letters. I call them hate letters for two reasons. People hate to write them because they want to be filled with peace and love and butterflies and unicorns. And these letters are about sad and angry things usually. And I call them hate letters also because a lot of times you have to write about how you hate somebody and you don't want to hate them even, but you do. And you got to get used to the fact that when you feel your feelings, you can't repress them. You can't change them. You just got to get them out of your body and see what's underneath them, see what's happening. So writing hate mail and burning it is another way to start doing inventory. Hate mail can be to yourself, to spirit, parents, loved ones, etc. Getting very comfortable with all aspects of yourself also allows you to build faith in you. Also spirit. Because you see, you haven't been sent to hell for doing horrible things, either to yourself or other people or both. You also see that you've gotten through it. And most of all, you see that you have courage. I heard a great definition of courage. It's not feel the fear and do it anyway. It's you feel the fear, but then you decide there are things in your life that have a much higher priority than the fear, and you give those things priority, such as your healing. Like, I'm scared, but my priority is to heal. I'm scared, but my priority is to tell the truth. I love that definition. Like, there it is, but you have a bigger mission than succumbing to your fear. It's not about being stoic. It is about making different choices. That is definitely courageous in every aspect. So getting comfortable with talking about the darkness in you and not doing it in a way that shames yourself or blames yourself, but just like puts you right in the middle of the human race, 
you've been as horrible as everybody else. You've been as great as everybody else. And you can relax into talking about things in an appropriate manner to appropriate people in appropriate times. In other words, you don't just start vomiting this stuff out at everybody just because you're in a healing cycle of discovery. So this is the beginning of building a sense, an emotional, cognitive, even energetic sense of faith in yourself of, look what I can do, look what I can get through, look how brave and honest I can be, look how I can make different choices, look how I can admit to my mistakes. This does so much to heal the wounded brain. It does so much to make unnecessary the toxic patterns of wounded thinking. You have replaced wounded thinking with honesty about yourself, your behaviors, actions, thoughts, and feelings. And you have begun to truly be your own best friend, your own champion, your own superhero. And you've gotten very comfortable with the fact that you're not perfect and nobody is and all of that's okay so we can get off the I must be perfect or I'm going to beat myself up mailing list. This brings you so much inner strength in terms of being able to tolerate honesty, mistake-making, correcting those mistakes. So you're building strength, which to me is resiliency, the ability to tolerate a lot of different conditions in life, a lot of different inner experiences in your life. So now you're not going to go after acceptance and surrender and faith in order to people-please, or to convince yourself that you really are a good person, even though inside you feel like you're not a good person. You're not going to do it to look like some new age guru. You're not going to do it to convince yourself that you're an amazing person when really you feel like you're a nightmare. When we have this little bit of faith in ourselves and our humanity, and all of our flaws, as well as all of our great traits. Faith now becomes an interesting and wonderful experience that you're willing to pursue. No other agenda. You're not doing it to be saved. You're not doing it to be gaining an early entrance into heaven or guaranteeing your entrance into heaven because you've been so shitty, but now if you're wonderful, maybe, you know, when you die, you'll be okay, for those of you who believe in that. I would say that whatever methods you use to start to build some faith in yourself, that's your starting point in terms of developing faith and also the strength for acceptance and surrender. If you are narcissistic, I'm not saying a narcissistic personality disorder, but many 
uh, young people especially, but all age ranges. But with the onset of social media, it's gotten a little bit or maybe a lot worse in terms of narcissism, in terms of look at me. For those of you who listened to a recent podcast, I was talking about my niece whose charming uh, strength is that she can turn the spotlight on herself and entertain everybody. And then everybody says what a great and wonderful person is, but she has not learned one thing about another person, not had one conversation to be concerned with their well-being or their outcomes. All she did was entertain them, and she's great at it. That is narcissism. If it is done on a fairly consistent basis as an unconscious habitual choice, if she had a personality disorder, she would be doing it on purpose for some personal gain for herself. But she's not that, and she does it for personal gain, which is to feel better for a little while by having everybody smile and laugh at her jokes and tell her how cute and pretty and sweet and funny she is. So if you're a little bit narcissistic, or a lot narcissistic, doing this unwinding I talked about is going to be extra hard because to be a narcissist means that you have to be in complete and utter denial about your uh, feelings of sadness and grief and loneliness and feeling lost, etc. In other words, your coping mechanism is, I'm okay and I'm charming and funny and wonderful, and you are too. Let's hold hands. So to break that down, um, it to me is an indicator of how weak that person is inside, that they have to be so much like that on the outside. In other words, they're not running around being lovely and kind and getting to know someone else. They're being lovely and kind to get other people to be enamored with them. And you can't just rip away that defense mechanism. The person will have a complete breakdown. So with someone who is narcissistic or someone who is an incredible liar, like people who come to see me and don't tell me for two years that they're married or that they really have no financial problems whatsoever. It's just their sort of go-to poor me place in order to get attention because they don't know how to ask for help or receive help like a grown-up. And I'm not saying that in a critical way, just they never got the skill set. So the other group that this is really hard to start working on faith in themselves is people who can't be honest. They can't even be honest to themselves. And that is a very long discussion far beyond the subject matter of this particular discussion. And it is more of a discussion for people who are working with other people. If you are related to or have a friend who is dishonest, or is a bit of a narcissist, you have not been given permission to work with them in order to move that debris off the road in order to get to the real person. I'm just going to say, if you have those traits and you're listening to this, You can't start where I'm talking about. You're going to have to back up and start with honesty. And honesty always requires you work with another person and working with a group 
can also help, like going to 12-step and learning to speak up and be honest, like really honest. And if you're a bit of a narcissist, the problem will be that you already have built up a community around you that will support your narcissism. That's the only way you can be around them. And there's no way you can change that pattern while hanging out with that just that crowd. It's like trying to be the only sober person and yet all your friends and family members are drunks and you love them and how do you be the one sober person? It's virtually impossible. But this is even harder because we're not talking about putting down a bottle. We're talking about altering every single one of your social communications. And your community wants to be entertained by you because it helps them in their depression and getting their attention helps you with your depression. So that's a really big knot to untangle. So if that's you, get some help first before starting where I'm talking about in terms of building faith and belief in yourself. Also, if let's say you are a person who has built some faith in yourself and you have some pretty healthy emotional habits, you might find yourself hitting a pretty lonely part of life because you just did a giant step forward in growth and Nobody else in your group, family or social groups, have done it. And you're going to be breaking a pattern. And some people may be able to tolerate and, and some people may not. So I always like to plan for the worst and hope for the best. The worst will be is you're going to stop fitting in. And you may even hit a period of finding the behavior of some of your old crowd or your family absolutely intolerable after you've learned some new skills regarding honesty. And also regarding being comfortable with who you are and comfortable with making amends. That becomes, in a way, a second step of faith. There's that moment where it's like, uh-oh, I don't fit in here anymore. Now what am I going to do? And if you can hang out in that space, again, going back to courage, you'll find the universe stepping in to make you stronger and sometimes moving you along to new relationships and sometimes just making you stronger in terms of your relationship to yourself, and sometimes both. In other words, you're going to have to sit it out and see where it goes. And it's a rough time because that's when a lot of people do a U-turn and go back to their parties and drinking and smoking weed and shopping and all the things that their community did of which you used to be the superstar of that community, the one always in front of the camera, the one always hosting the parties, the one entertaining everybody at parties and stuff like that. And now you're not the one who always does that. You may still do it. It may be who you are, but it's no longer a compulsion. Now it's more of a choice. Growing always brings fallout. Getting stronger always brings 
a period of loneliness. People will do one of two things when you grow. Leave you or lean on you more. A rare minority will accept your growth and adapt willingly and happily. This is why we have a group called Al-Anon, which is for people who live with alcoholics because once the alcoholic stops drinking, usually the family member can't handle it, believe it or not, even though that's what they say they want the most. Well, they actually go to a 12-step meeting to learn how to hold their ground while the person is drinking, but also how to maintain when the person actually finally gives you your dream come true, they stop drinking. Well, if you're changing among your community, your family, your loved ones, they're not going to Al-Anon. So they're going to see your changes as unusual, frightening, incomprehensible, scary, sometimes even evil. Like, why are you being a different person than who we've known for 50 years or even 10 years or less? So that is a little bit challenging. I hope you're beginning to understand that developing faith is not woo-woo. <laughs> it's brick and mortar. Faith is developed through behaviors, choices, actions, and what happens after that. Faith is not an emotional choice. Though people do that, they, oh, I'll pray for you. Yeah, because they don't have to change anything. They don't have to really change their behavior, make different choices, be very honest, be very aware, be in their bodies or anything. There are some people who say, I'll pray for you, and, and they actually mean it. They actually have some investment in that, but I haven't met many of those people in the West. So once you have built up some faith in yourself, you learn to be honest, you've learned to feel your feelings, you've learned to start making different choices, you've developed courage, you start to trust yourself in terms of taking care of yourself and being able to be strong and courageous in this lifetime, in this body. Now, I want you to understand we're talking at the very minimal two years here. Minimal. That's if you're really on a path and really working it. Now you can really begin to work with surrender and acceptance. Now, again, I am generalizing because it's a podcast. Some people are very energy sensitive, very kinesthetic. They have to work with acceptance and surrender first in order to develop faith. But they are a minority. And in the New Age, that's a, this is a hard position to take because everybody in the New Age is so sure they feel energy. And what I find out, I would say 90% of them are feeling, are the remnants of their dysfunctional childhood and all the extrasensory perception they developed in order to save their life from what was going on in their home as a child. So they have a lot of ESP, they're very psychic, they can be clairvoyant, but they are not feeling energy. They are defending themselves from 
old pain and terror. Convincing people of that is impossible. Cannot say that and have someone change. That has to be revealed to them in a way that they discover it for themselves. Otherwise, they're going to feel they're being told something by an untrustworthy person. People that are that wounded and are mistaking their wounds for energy will never trust a healthy person and instead will trust, deeply trust, immediately trust the people who most resemble their dysfunctional people from childhood. So you'll see someone who's psychic and sensitive or whatever, and they marry a drunk or a user or someone who's checked out and dissociated. And you think, how can that happen? Well, because their supernatural tools were developed as a child, often before cognitive skills were developed neurologically. So they are very sensitive and very new agey, it looks like. But because they're not healed, their neural pathways and their endorphins and their neurochemistry get stimulated by people who resemble their messed up, unhealed childhood. And that's who they make friends with. That's who they fall in love with. Those are the people they hang out with. Again, a good analogy is if you've grown up with alcoholics and you haven't done any healing work, even if you're not drinking, you will be drawn to the alcoholic personality, whether they are currently drinking alcohol or not. There's a, such a thing as a dry drunk or the culture of alcoholism, whether the person's drinking or not. So those are the people you're going to laugh with and feel at ease with and become vulnerable with and join with and bond up with because that's what you're body knowledge, your neurophysiology knows. It's like you're a skunk and you meet other skunks that you're instantly in love. And then you wonder why you're with skunks who smell bad. And then maybe you find out you're not a skunk, which is a rather painful thing to find out because you were raised by skunks. I'm using skunks because everybody thinks they smell bad. Some people don't mind the smell, but most people do. But there's nothing evil about them. It's just meaning that in spite of the strong red flag of a smell, not to mention how they look, that, whoa, this is a skunk, people will bond up with the worst choices they can possibly make, thinking they're feeling energy, but what they're feeling is the energetic defenses they built up and used and mastered in childhood. And those skills do not get redirected in any fashion until you've started on and been in a healing journey for at least a couple of years. But let's say you're someone who maybe hasn't had a horrible childhood or actually is extremely sensitive for real, not sensitive to danger and dysfunction. You may not start with the cognitive processes. You may be able to sit with someone who can show you very quickly how to sense the energy of a higher source coming in, 
and how to stay present with it without overreacting or dissociating or running away. So an example of kind of the fine line of that, um, this person has, knows about this story and um, it's a great example, one of the best examples I've ever seen. We were removing entities and this person is very energy sensitive. So this person felt the entity and then started to work with the entity because this person felt bad for the entity. But what this person was supposed to be working on was the person that the entity had attached to. By getting involved with the entity, the energy, and trying to heal the entity who has not come in for a session, the person came for the session. The entity didn't come in for healing. So now this person got entangled with the entity and felt sick. Believe even had a headache, felt nauseous. Like, yeah, you're, it's like, mm. You're going in and trying to pull a tiger off the bleeding gazelle. But it's the gazelle that called you for help, not the tiger. But you went to help the tiger. So of course, the tiger's going to turn on you and eat you. So that's a beautiful example of someone who could feel a higher energy or different energies. But because of a wounded childhood, immediately went down a road that was not uh, healthy for this person or the entity or the person that was supposed to be receiving the help. And it took a lot of recovery just for that little tiny experiment. It took a lot of recovery to get normalized again, to feel better again. That's why I, I can't emphasize enough in the beginning, working with someone or a great group, just be careful if it's not a 12-step group, if it's got a group leader, there's a lot of cult stuff going on right now because people are screwed up. So be very, very careful if there's a, quote, group leader. I don't care what your impression of them is. Hold, withhold judgment for a year or two to make sure they're not a cuckoo person. If you are super energy sensitive and your childhood was pretty damn good or you've done a lot of healing work, you can approach faith instead of cognitively from an energetic place first, which is you learn to touch that energy from a higher source that has no language to it. You can't describe it. You can create metaphors and analogies, but it's just not, doesn't do it justice. And then that kind of person can learn when that energy is coming in and calling for a surrender to that energy. In other words, don't make a decision. Don't make up a story about what this is. Feel the energy coming in. Trust it because you also trust yourself. And now you're going to wait and see. That's the best description I can give of acceptance and surrender on an energetic level. But if you've never felt this, you may think you know what I'm talking about, but you do not. There's people who have come to me for a number of years, and then one day they say, oh my God, that's what meditation feels like. It's two years, five years in. It takes that long sometimes. 
How do you know that you are working with someone who can show you that energetic experience? Trial and error. I bonded with my teacher. I had already dropped out of spirituality. It had gotten too new agey. This was in the mid-80s, and I had started spiritual stuff in the 70s. I had somewhere between 10 and 15 years, yeah, about 15 years of spirituality and channeled and meditation and my phone ringing there, past life regression. I had my spiritual teachers that were amazing and very not new age. Thank God, because it made me very cautious and very unenthusiastic about new age stuff as opposed to metaphysical. And my spiritual father was an energy master, and he didn't claim to be. He just was. And I would lay on a massage table, and he would sit next to me, and unbelievable things would happen. No crystals, no sound bowls, no talking, no nothing. No pyramids. It was, I just thank spirit every day that I met that early on in my development because it showed me what pure energy was. It doesn't need anything else. It doesn't even need a romantic setting or incense or candles, nothing. It's just there for the taking, that energetic experience. So the reason I bonded with my teacher is the second I met the man and the spirit I wasn't like, oh my God, it's my teacher. I went, oh shit, like this is the real thing. Like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna get back to work here, like I did with my spiritual parents, because the stuff they taught me, along with being unbelievably amazing, was challenging and a little painful as I learned to look at myself and and go, wow, yeah, that's that's me too. You know, I do that too, and I knew they loved me, so I could hear it. You know, they weren't trying to hurt me. They weren't trying to collect money. They weren't starting a cult. They were retired from the business world and being of service with the metaphysics they had studied for like 40 years. So when I met my teacher, it was the energy field, and he didn't even do anything to me. It was just there. I just got it. Like, whoa, this is the real thing. And we're meeting in someone's living room. I think it was his wife at the time who was, I believe, a... A psychologist or a psychiatrist, I can't remember which. In her living room, the class was 10 bucks. There was like 10 people there. Blew me away. And also not in like, a, oh, I found my answer. It's like, whoa, like this, this is like a true ladder that I can climb. I don't know how else you find somebody who can work with energy. Some people are so scared of their own feelings. Some people are so wounded, they have shut down access to their energy field. And I have brought people to meet my teacher, and they just said, oh, he's an old Chinese guy. What's, I don't get it. They didn't feel a thing from him, not a thing. So folks like that, you got to start cognitively, in my opinion. Going back to acceptance and surrender, the whole skill set of being able to be honest, do inventory, make amends, and be okay with that. 
that gives you the resiliency and the strength to accept what's happening in your life and not do it as a victim, a doormat, or from some misguided cognitive belief that this is what I was told to do and I want to be just like Dr. Marie, so I'm going to do it. That's horrible. Don't ever do that. Acceptance is a huge choice from strength. It is not resignation. It's not stoicism. It is a combination of cognition and energy. At least to me it is. I understand there's nothing else I can do. I see all the pros and cons of my situation. And... My priority is growth and evolution over fear. So I choose courage. I've double checked that I'm not running away from anything or making up a story or punishing myself with my choice. And then I sit in acceptance. I might feel fear. I might feel relief. I might feel rage. I might feel grief. In other words, that step into the energy of acceptance is a huge experience. It's not, I've accepted my situation and it's all going to be okay and it's all going to work out because everything is meant to be. What a bunch of horseshit. Acceptance is as huge an experience as a cosmic orgasm is. It happens on so many different levels. And it has a ripple effect. I mean, it's like an orgasm. It happens. There's the before it happens. There's there it happens. And then it's after it happens. The now what? Like, how do I keep living and moving now with that experience? And surrender is not, again, a cognitive decision or a slogan Surrender is, hmm, maybe a safe example is if you've ever gotten a massage and there's a really sore muscle and you have a really great masseuse, they keep working on it and you breathe into that muscle group and you very slowly allow it to unwind and as it unwinds you might have memories you might have a pain somewhere else. You might spasm and tighten up before you release. But it's an experience to get that knot worked out and not fight it. But you're also not being a doormat and you're not blaming yourself and you're not being a victim and you don't have a story about it. You're just deeply involved with the energy of letting something be done to you. In this case, in this example, a massage. The masseuse is working out this knot or tension in a muscle group. And you're working with that massage by feeling the tension and as much as possible consciously choosing to not try to control what's happening. That to me is surrender. And I hope you hear the strength in that. Though most Westerners hear acceptance and surrender is loser. 
and dangerous and oh just so many other scary words to it but to me it is a warrior choice if you haven't done healing work first you may have learned to accept and surrender to abuse and dysfunction and emotional violence as a child so you might be very good at surrendering and very good at accepting and surrendering but not in a healthy way it's because it's what you did as a kid you just became a bunny and hoped the coyote wouldn't see you or if the coyote saw you would decide it was more hungry kind of like how if you've ever seen an animal get attacked sometimes they'll play dead not just possums but others will just lay there like okay I'm dead and then as soon as the hunter leaves they get up and run away and I see a lot of people do that and they call that acceptance and surrender but it isn't that's called survival There's not much else I can say about it. Surrender and acceptance, I would say, go read a lot of Pema Chodron. She writes whole books about different angles of coming at this and really great material. And hopefully, if, as you read that, it will drive you more and more towards inventory, honesty, and making amends so that you can further feel and hear and follow the huge guidance that comes that's available to us all every second of the day it's us who is not available to receive it every second of the day i hope this helps i hope you keep sending in questions it's the questions that are giving me the topics to talk about so please keep sending them in you can find an email form on my website on my website's also my phone number you can message me through facebook through instagram so many ways hope to see you at life path healings and if i don't i hope that you keep continuing to search and find your own way on the journey. See you soon.